This Friday thrust our country into turbulent times. There's massive outcries and marches. Demonstrations are taking place in our city, even as I speak, and even around the country. The last time something, I believe, this explosive was faced on a national level with clear sides and even threats to shut down our judicial system in D.C. may have very well been during the civil war of our country. As our nation fought for the freedom of every man, every race and color that our nation fought for. It was at that moment I was reminded that Abraham Lincoln, who was the leader at that time, the president, was asked if he thought God was on the side of the North during the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln said these words. He said, the real question is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. And I believe that is still the question today. And I believe that God is really challenging us as a church to see if we are on his side. Let me walk you through some things that God has placed upon my heart. Three of the most popular gods today in our culture are these three that I want you to jot down. It's one, the God of my cause, the God of my understanding, and the God of my experience. Those are the three gods that we are choosing as a country, the God of my cause, the God of my understanding, and the God of my experience. Let me be real clear. God cannot be contained within any human ideology, any personal opinion. And let me speak to the religious world here. God can't even be contained in your theological compartments. He is bigger than all of us. That's why... The scripture will say over and over through the prophets, who is like the Lord? It's the challenge throughout the Bible because men were constantly bringing up their gods against the true and living God. And every single time you would hear the cry, who is like the Lord? I remember because I had that, I had that battle even in my own home a number of times. I remember inviting a group of Jehovah's Witnesses into our home. While you were hiding, I was inviting them into our home. And I immediately go to one topic, and it's for this reason. I go to this one topic. It's the Trinity. It's the topic of my conversation, that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so every single time, they will tell me, we don't believe in the Trinity because It's unexplainable, and these are the words that will be used to me every single time. It doesn't make sense. Three persons, but one God. And every single time, I will respond exactly. I said, you you can explain your God, but God is not confined to your explanation. My God is bigger than anything I could ever think or imagine. Once, listen to me carefully. Once you have grasped God with your mind, he ceases to be God. If you have comprehended God, you have deceived yourself. God, who is like the Lord? He is beyond us. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christians that lived in the last hundred years on his journey, listen to what he said about God. He said, looking for God is like fishing for a giant shark. You throw your line over the side and then the strike 
and now you have more than you can handle on the line. It's not what you've decided. Once all of a sudden you go, I want God, you have no idea who he is. Who is like the Lord? That's why he said this. He said, I know, C.S. Lewis said, God can't be a figment of my imagination because he is not at, at, at all like I imagined him to be. Where have we gone wrong in this country? Where have we gone wrong in the church? And where have we gone wrong in even our pulpits today? I believe God gives us and speaks to us in Psalm 50 and tells us the root of all of it. This is God speaking. I want you to get this down. I will build from this and give you the context, but listen to what God says. God speaking in Psalm 50, 21. He says this, this is the root. You thought I was just like you. You thought I was just like you. I'll read the context shortly. But like C.S. Lewis said, the people did not like the real God that they hooked on their fishing line, so they made up their own. They substituted their likes and dislikes to be their God. I was walking out of my apartment building on the way to church, and, and some of the tenants and some of even somebody who worked on staff there said, hey, we know you're going to church. One of them said, this is game day for you. And they said, what are you preaching on? I stopped right there. Psalm 50, 21, you thought God was like you. I said, let me just tell all of you sitting here right now. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not on the left side of the aisle or the right side of the aisle. I looked at every one of them and I said, he is the true and living God that sits on the throne and he is alive today. Hallelujah. And then I came to church. I really believe this. The problem in America is not atheism. America is not godless. America has many gods. America is not godless. We have many gods. And this is the issue but the, where, where we have to answer this question. What does America's God look like? God's indictment was that God looks like you. That was the indictment of Psalm 50, 21. The indictment was that the God that you think is in heaven is the God that lives at your address and in your apartment. The latest Gallup poll says 81% of our country believe in God. 81%. Bear with me. We also are told that 61% of our country believe in abortion. Okay, just think for a moment. On Friday, June 24th, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned a 50-year-old case called Roe v. Wade. It said that the Constitution of the United States would give women a right to choose to have an abortion on demand. It was a law that took no thought of the life that was in the womb of the mother. But here's what's confusing to me, church. What's confusing to me is that 81% of our nation believes in God and 61% of our nation believes in abortion. I want you to think with me for just a moment. What was the first commandment God gave to his people as they started their new journey? Just think for a moment. It's the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, this is what it says. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Listen to the first command. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, listen carefully. God said 
you shall have no other gods before me, not to a heathen nation, but to a God-fearing nation. Do you understand who he said it to? He didn't say it to a nation full of idols. He said it to a nation that trusted God that brought him out of Egypt. He was saying this to the people of God. He was saying believing in God never guarantees sometimes even the true worship of God because we all are bent on this moment of creating, of creating a God that looks like us. An individualistic Christianity leads inevitably to an individualistic God that we are more vulnerable today than ever to forsake the living God for other gods. I heard someone say it like this before in Genesis 1:27. It says that God created man in his own image, but today man has returned the favor. We have created God in our own image. What has gone wrong? What is, we, we think God is like us. Listen to the context of Psalm 50. Listen to these words. He says, and now I speak to the wicked. Listen to what I have to say to you. What right do you have to presume to speak for me and claim my covenant promises as yours? He says, for you've hated my instruction and disregarded my words, throwing them away as worthless, and you forgot to condemn the thief or the adulterer you are a friend running alongside them into darkness. Now listen to this. He said, the sins of your mouth multiply evil. You have a lifestyle of lies devoted to deceit. And as you speak against others, this is God speaking, even slandering those of your own household. All this you have done. And because I've kept silent, you thought I was just like you. Sanctioning the evil that you are promoting. But now I'll bring you to my courtroom, God says. And spell out clearly what my charges are. This is your last chance, my final warning. My, your time is up. This is God speaking to us. God speaking to his own people. He said, because I didn't speak, because I was silent, you thought that my silence sanctioned what you were doing and how you were feeling. You thought that that vacuum, you thought I was just like you, is what he said. He was saying that this was the root and the condemnation by God back then, and I believe it, it still is today. And that's why I want to take you for just a little bit on a journey today. I want to take you to a first century city that's like all other major cities around the world, those that are watching in those 40 different countries and all around the United States and right here in New York City where most of us live. I want to show you a pattern here. I want to take you to one of the most vibrant cities in the first century, and I want to put against it the word of God. I want the word of God to speak as, as, as the apostle Paul begins to not begins to recognize a church that lives in one of these kind of cities. There was wealth. There was opulence everywhere. Corinth was the commerce capital. It had harbors on two sides, which had access to Asia and to Europe, which was unheard of at that time. It was international, a melting pot for Greeks and Jews and Romans filled with idols and temples for all the different deities that everyone brought with them into this melting pot. It was consumed also with sensuality because if there was a temple and different religions, there was also temple prostitutes and sensuality that would go with it. It was also even known for its sporting events, second only to the Olympics or the Isthmus games that would take place there. There was money, multiple religions, a melting pot of different, of different people from around the world. It was sports sounds much like our city or all major cities around the world. And it is to that major city, the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that people were not fashioning God into their own liking, that they were not beginning to go ahead and, make, and, and making sure that God was, 
God was simply agreeing with anything that they wanted to do. Why? Because he says the voices from every corner of that city will be calling and, and will begin to try to come and even make God murky and muddy. And we, we were missing something here. I, I love what the, the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard said. He said, it's a humbling thought that before the true and living God, we are always in the wrong. We are always wrong. So whenever you come up and say, this is what God is like, God goes, no, 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 you don't know what it's like. You don't know what I'm like. I was speaking with a Muslim man whose wife just became a Christian, was going to our church, and he was incensed about it. And then he said these words to me. He said, why did she convert? And listen to his words. We basically have the same God and believe the same thing, except for the cross and Jesus being God. I said, that's everything. What are you talking about? Because what you're doing is you're trying to create a God for me. He's beyond what you can even imagine or think. The problem is your wife hooked him on the line and now she realizes he is the true resurrected Jesus that changes everything for everybody. That's why I love what one of the men that has meant so much to my life, Leonard Ravenhill, said these words. Listen to this. A man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. And if there's ever a time for the church to be intimate with God, to begin to fight the intimidations, that day is today. That the middle of the road is a poor place to walk. It's a poor place to drive, and it's a poor place to be a Christian. We need people that are intimate with God that will never be intimidated by men. Because if we don't get the true and living God right, we'll begin to fall and begin to cave in on every part. And really the question to us today is let's really see if we're on the Lord's side. Not on the side of an issue. Let's see if we're on the Lord's side. Let's see if we know the true God. And I want to take just the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul sent 29 chapters to this church in Corinth, to this church that was in this major metropolitan area, to lift up Christ and says, let's not lose who the true God is. Let's not lose this. In Corinth, he's constantly pointing the people of God to the true God. Because he was saying, basically, Jesus, when I look at all these instruments today, he was saying, Jesus is our tuning fork. And in order for all of these instruments to play correctly, he says, you have to have that middle C that begins to declare if something is out of tune. His pitch, Jesus, defines reality and sets every other note in their place where society could be flat or the church could be sharp because when Jesus hits the middle C, we have to understand two things happen. Either men come back into tune with God or men become angry with the true and living God. Whenever the true and living God is raised up, two things happen. Men get things in tune in their life or they begin to push back. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians in both 1 and 2 Corinthians, was hitting the tuning fork for society. He was hitting the middle C. And that's what he was doing. And so I'll just take chapter 1 and show you what the middle C was for the people of God. He says, I need you to remember this. Don't lose sight of this. Let me just give you three of things from chapter 1 and not even go through all 29 chapters. But listen to what he says. He says, I want you to get middle C here. I want you to know who God is. 
I want you to know the true and living God. First thing he says is this. You will see it. I'll read it to you in just a moment. He says, number one, I want you to remember this. God is faithful. God is faithful. Faithful means God is consistent and dependable. He doesn't change. You know what I'm so grateful? He doesn't get moody and he doesn't have a bad day. He is God every single day. You'll never hear God say, I forgot, cut me some slack. He'll never say that. Never has there been an attribute of God more unlike humanity than consistency. God has never said, hey, try doing my job and listening to all these people. God has never said that. God has never been to school to learn. He's never been coached to get better. He's never not been himself. He's never been tired, and he's never not loved these people. God is amazing. He is absolutely consistent and says, even when everything else and people go haywire, God still stays the same. Hallelujah. Listen to these words. Paul says later on in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He, and here's the reason why. Because he can't deny himself. He says, even if you're messing up, God doesn't mess up. Why? God is faithful. God doesn't change. This means your wavering doesn't change God. He stays the same. That's why I want to read to you the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And you tell me what Paul was trying to emphasize. You tell me that Paul wasn't striking the tuning fork, Jesus, that C, that middle C constantly to go, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to see how many times he says Jesus or God in the first couple verses. I want you to see it. You tell me what he's trying to emphasize. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's one. By the will of God, there's two. And Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, there it is again. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling in every place who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which is given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him with all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ is confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, but who will also confirm to you to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were preached and called into fellowship with who? His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I exalt you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. 17 times in 10 verses, he either says Jesus or God and just says, let me just let you know, if you want to not be intimidated by people and not be intimidated by the times, you better know Jesus, you better know God, you better know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul kept hitting the middle C in those first 10 verses. 17 times in 10 verses. Oh my goodness. Paul just kept hitting it going, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's God, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And in verse 9, Paul mentions this attribute of God. He's faithful. Because faithfulness and forgiveness will work together. This is what I love about the consistency of God. Listen to this, Times Square Church. God is never, because he's faithful, he has never turned anyone away who's asked for forgiveness. How many times 
Have you asked God for forgiveness before? Think of it. Oh my goodness. Let, let me ask a better question. How many of you have ever asked God to forgive you of the same thing over and over and over again? Okay, four of you. The rest, you'll be asking God shortly for lying. Listen, listen. He says if we confess our sins, he is, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unright. God is faithful to forgive us. That's huge. That means you never come to God and say, please forgive me. And God says, what? You did that? Oh no, this is like the 80th time you've asked me. God never says, you know what they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Never, never, never. God is faithful. God is dependable. God is consistent. God forgives because God is faithful. That's what he says. Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I need God to be faithful. I don't need a God that looks like me, that is, that is consistent sometimes. If people like me, then I like you. And if you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. That's not like God. God says, I'll never deny myself. I'll be faithful even if you're faithless. I need a God who's faithful today. Hallelujah. God is faithful. Number two, God is wise. He wanted these Corinthians to know in this metropolitan city, he says, don't forget how God is faithful and don't forget God is wise. Listen to what he says in these two verses. He says, so where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? He says, since the world in all of its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God. And God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, which was preaching, he says, of all things, to bring those who trust in him in every way of salvation. So when people hear the preaching of the word of God, you may look at this and going like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. And all of a sudden God goes, no, 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 because you're not wise enough to understand and realize this is what I use today. See, God is wise. He's smarter than us. God, hallelujah, doesn't need Google. I'm so thankful for that. He has every answer you need. We type it in. What does this mean? We have to YouTube it to figure out how to fix it. We have to Google it to say that we've researched it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God's wisdom was being compared to man's wisdom. And God has never said, wow, I've never heard of that before. God has never said, I'm not sure about that one. How does that work? Let me YouTube how to deal with these things. God has never said that because God is wise. God, in fact, he's not just wise. First Timothy 1.17 says in this word of worship, he says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
He doesn't get better at being God. He doesn't learn more about being God over the years. He doesn't get a master's in being God or a PhD in being God. He is God. He already is God and will always be God and will always be the only wise God. Hallelujah. I grew up at a time in the late 60s and the 70s that we didn't have malls were just kind of starting up but if you had a, if you needed something if you wanted flowers when you grew up you go to a florist and if you wanted tools you'd go to a hardware store if you want food you go to a grocery store if you want a bicycle they actually had bike stores When I was walking through the church a few weeks ago and talking and praying with some folks before the 10 o'clock service, I remember one Sunday praying for so many massive needs for the precious people that sit here on 51st and Broadway, everything from unemployment to I have to go back in. They may think that the breast cancer has returned to my daughter is lost and I don't even know if she's alive to a marriage that's messed up, to an addiction, and I may lose my apartment. I sat there and prayed from seat to seat with people and listening to all these things. And here's what I thought about that. If God was a 70s God, you'd have to go to some other religion to find a God that specializes in children, another God that specializes in healing, another God that specializes in freedom, or another God that specializes in provision. Let me tell you these stores that you have today. You can go to Target. You can buy food, clothes, tires, prescriptions. You can buy any, you can buy cosmetics. You can buy school, and it's all found in one store. You just go to the same, and there it all is. Folks, I have to tell you this that's what God is. Everything. Thing you need is in him. You need healing? Go to God. You need provision? Go to God. You need a miracle? Go to God. You need something to come through? You go to God. You need a door to open up? Let me tell you something. You don't have to find a lucky charm or a different religion. I've got a God that does it all. He is wise. He is smart. He is faithful. And God is all-powerful. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20 says this. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream. And he says this in the Passion, you're in exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. That's the God I serve. God is faithful. God is wise. And let me close with this. God is love. The great Holocaust survivor, Corey Temboon, said it like this. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me read something to you so you could be at rest today. God is faithful, consistent, 
God is wise. He never gets better at being God. Number three, God is love. Let me read this to you. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately will choose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He'll choose the nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. And then he goes on to say, that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's why we have a saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Hallelujah. And I want you to listen. now. I want to speak clearly. I'm not here to grandstand, but I want to speak clearly. God is faithful. God is wise. And God is love. Think of those words again. God will choose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He will choose nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Millions and millions of people have overlooked that precious child in the womb and consider it a nobody, but not God. A womb that can't speak. And while millions are protesting around this country, and I'm not grandstanding, but I want to speak about a God that is love. And while those nobodies in nobody's eyes, while everybody else is protesting, I want you to, I want you to hear this. God says, I choose the nobodies that you think don't even have a name, that you think don't even have a purpose. God chooses them. Why? Because God loves them. He loves those that are cast aside. We're not cheering for a court case. I'm cheering for, I'm cheering for a Supreme Court. We prayed for them. I, I, wanna, I, I, I believe God has a, a plan for these children. Would you listen to this? I'm going to read to you four scenarios. Would you consider abortion in the following four situations? Let me read them to you. There's a preacher and a wife who are very, very poor. They have 14 children, and she finds out she's pregnant with the number 15. They're living in tremendous poverty. Considering their poverty, would you consider recommending to even get an abortion with number 15. Listen to this. Number two, the father is sick. The mother has TB and they have four children. The first child is blind. The second one died at a young age. The third is deaf. And their fourth child has, a, has tuberculosis and she fi finds out she's pregnant again. There's nothing but sickly children. Number three, a white man has raped a 13-year-old black girl and she got pregnant. If you were her parents, would you recommend an abortion? Number four, a teenage girl is pregnant. She's not married. Her fiance is not the father of the baby, and he's very upset. They're supposed to get married, and she gets pregnant. In the first case, you've just killed John Wesley, one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. In the second case, you've killed Beethoven. In the third case, you've killed Ethel Waters, the great gospel singer. And in the fourth case, you've just killed Jesus. 
Folks, just God has stories for these children. God has stories for these voices. I have to tell you that that's the God I want to serve. The God I want to serve is not the God that you thought he was like, but it's the God that says I'm faithful, I'm wise, but I also love the nobodies. When all the somebodies are trying to raise up voices on a microphone and trying to grandstand, I'm just telling you, this is what God says. This is the God of love. He said, you saw me. This is David said this. He said, you saw me before I was born and you scheduled each day of my life before I even began to breathe. He said, every day was recorded in your book. And how precious it is, Lord, to realize that you're thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. That's a God of love that says, I love you before you were even somebody. God loved you as a nobody. Now, folks, I want you to understand something here. Not, that's why I needed to say this. It's not political. It's something that God God says, I'm love. I love them whether you're somebody or nobody, whether you don't have a name or you have a name. And he doesn't care whether you're a senator or a congressman, whether you're chief justice or whether you're a single mom trying to get by. God, or whether you're a child without a name in a womb. God says, I love you. Now, folks, listen to me. I read this the other day and I just thought, man, this is me. He said this. He said, as I grow older, I care less and less what people think about me and more and more what God thinks about me. Why? Because I expect to be with him much longer than I expect to be with you. So I really don't care. Just, it doesn't matter anymore. 58 years old, I care what he thinks. And what he thinks is this, he is faithful. He is wise. And God is love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Told you in the very beginning of C.S. Lewis's journey to find God, it's like catching that shark and you don't even know what to do with what's on the line. I hope some of you are sitting here just struggling, going like, what did, did I sign up for? I thought I was coming to church. I didn't know I was coming in contact with something other than myself. It's not about us, not about a choir or singing. I'm believing the Holy Spirit is touching. One of my favorite children's books by C.S. Lewis is in the Narnia series, and it's called The Silver Chair. I want to read to you in exchange. It's a story of a young girl named Jill, and she finally in the land of Narnia. Many know about the whole series and the movies that Disney has put out. It's first time in this enchanted land, and she's thirsty. She had no idea about this lion named Aslan, who Lewis writes about to be this representation of Christ. And so Aslan, who represents Jesus, is faced, Jill is faced with this giant lion in front of her and a brook that he is hovering over, and she's dying of thirst. And she doesn't know what to do. Do I quench the thirst or do I respond to the lion? And then the lion speaks first. Let me just read to you very quickly the, the conversation and the discourse. Are you thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink. Jill said, may I? Could I? Would you mind go away while I drink? 
The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move at her convenience. But the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Then she said, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? The lion said, I make no promises. Jill was so thirsty when without even noticing, she took another step. Then she goes, do, do, do you eat little girls? He said, I swallowed up girls, boys, women, men, kings, emperors, cities, realms. And she said, he didn't say it as though he was boasting or as if he was sorry or even angry. He just said it. Well, then I dare not come and drink. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming a step nearer. And listen to this. Then I suppose I must go and look for another stream. And the lion said, there is no other stream. This is it. Look at me, folks. There is no other stream. In that stream, he is faithful. In that stream, he is wise. In that stream, he is love. And you can search and you can look for the masses, but I'm here to tell you, God's not like you. God's not like me. God's not like Times Square Church. But the Bible says in Psalm 126, now, Lord, do it again. Restore to us a former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest full of joyful shouts. Hallelujah. He said he's sending a stream to New York. He's sending a stream to Belgium. He's sending a stream to Finland and the UK. He's sending a stream to Malaysia and the Philippines. He's sending a stream to Swaziland and South Africa. He's sending a stream to Nigeria and Uganda. He's sending a stream right here at 51st and Broadway. Don't leave. Don't look for another stream. He's here today. He's here. Don't let him be contained in, in, in our religious ways. Paul said, man, I have to say his name 17 times in the first 10 verses, just so you know you can't get him mixed up. That's the one we go to. Don't get up and leave this place and look for another place. Find it in God. Folks, look at me. We, we are not consistent here. If you look to me, I'm not consistent. Freddie's not consistent. None of us are consistent. God is faithful. He's consistent. He will love you because he is love and he is wise. That's just chapter one. He goes, I have 28 more things to tell you on how great this God is. And I'm telling you, jump into that stream today. He's calling you. He's calling you today, whether online or in person, he's calling you. Well, maybe I should go drink somewhere else. There is no other stream. It's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. Some of you are coming to the honest place in your heart and life right now and realize I have made God me. I have created a God that looks like me, a God that is connected to my cause, my interests, my opinions. And God is not like us. He's not like me. He's not like you. And some of you are feeling that tug on your heart today. That's the, that's the, 
the great white. That's the, the fish, the shark that we're going, what in the world did I just catch? That? It's God speaking to you, going, don't, don't leave without stopping at this stream. Today, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day your life can be changed. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's, it's, it's what Jesus refers to, and he calls, he uses this phrase, it's, it's imagery. He just says, he says, you must be born again. That's the stream. That's when you kneel down. That's the first drink. The first drink is being born again. What does that mean? He was saying, just as you've had a first birth physically, God is saying you need a second birth spiritually. He says, that's what I'm calling you to. That's the drink. The relationship. That, that's why Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. And today, here, right in this place, in the balcony on the main floor, those that are watching from around the world in those 40 countries, in those 40-plus states that are watching with us live today, God is speaking. God is calling you. There is no other stream. I'm here to tell you that. God is faithful. God is wise. And God is love. And the joy is this. He takes the nobodies that the somebodies have abused and pushed to the side and said, listen, I'm the one who loves you. I've chosen you. Even though everyone has rejected you, God has chosen you today. That's the God of love today. Well, how do I drink? How do I get that born again experience? Wow. We just tell you every single Sunday, it's as simple as ABC. It's a admitting that we're sinners, that we have this capacity to try to create and recreate God when all of a sudden we have to come to the spot. Remember like what we said in, in, in the presence of the true and living God, we're all wrong. It's just coming to that place to go. I'm a sinner. I'm broken on the inside. I have a condition called sin. I can't fix it with a priest, a pastor, a promise, a program. I can't fix it with a religion. I can't fix it with just even a group of people that think the way I do. It's me finding the true and living God. It's be then believing that that God of love, that God of wisdom, that God of faithfulness has sent his son 2,000 years ago to fix what I couldn't fix myself. He came down 2,000 years ago, not to get me to church, but to get me to heaven. Not simply to get me to sit in a seat, but to get to walk with me every single day. He has come not to give you a religion, but a relationship today. And it starts by believing in him. Believing that God sent his son to be my sin bearer. He's, he's dying for my sin today. Think about it for a moment. He died the death I was supposed to die. Lived the life I couldn't even live. And gave me a reward that I don't even deserve. And finally, it's confessing him as Lord and saying, You, Jesus, are Lord. You are in charge not on Sunday for an hour and a half, but every single day. Lord means boss. You're in charge right now. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're watching online and if you're here in person, there is no other stream. It's found in Jesus. It's not found in TSC. It's not found in this church. It's found in Jesus. And he's calling you today. He's calling you today. He's calling you to drink. He's calling you to be born again. 
And I want to pray for you today. And if you're here today in this place and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God today. I want God to come in and change me. I want that stream. I've looked everywhere else. And today I finally realized I want, the, I want that God. I want God. I don't need a religion and a church. I need the true and living God today to come in and change me from the inside out. And if that's you today, and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray this prayer, this born-again prayer, I want to be part of that. I want to start that journey with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, and you say, put me in that prayer, Pastor Tim. I want to, I want, I want to start that journey with God without any hesitation. If that's you, if that's you right now, just hold up your hand. Say, put me in that prayer. Hold, hold your hand up as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand that's raised in this place, and I just want to see. Go ahead. Keep them up. There's one, two. Keep them up. There's three. Keep them up. There's four, five, six, seven. Got you in the back. Anybody else? Got you back there. There's eight. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up in this place. Nine. Thank you. Ten. Thank you. Eleven, twelve, and thirteen over there. Thank you so much. Fourteen. Got you over there. Anybody else? I want to make sure I don't miss anybody else that just says, I want God. I want to make sure I just got every hand. Got you back there. That's fifteen. And 16 over here. That's fantastic. You could put your hands down. What a blessing today. And if you're watching online, just type in the chat line. Type in the chat line, decided today. Come on. Can we all pray this together with these 16 people? Come on, let's say this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, my guilt. And you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.